welcome back, folks, to another episode of Protein Ramblings. And it's WrestleMania season. And given that it's WrestleMania season, we've got a special episode for you. So it's myself today and Naomi. Hello. And we are joined by a very, very special guest. We are joined by Jeff Bearden, a pro wrestler, also known as El Gigante, Giant Warrior, and Tiger Steel. Uh, hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Good. Good to be on. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for coming. It's great to have oh, you. Oh, anytime. So, uh, yeah, we're going to spend this episode uh, talking with Jeff about his uh, his career highlights, uh, his thoughts on the business, and uh, come on to talking about the, 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 the current modern product and uh, how, the, how the wrestling has changed over the years. So, starting off, Jeff, um, what was it that... What was the deciding factor? What made you decide, yeah, I want to be a pro wrestler? Well, you know, I grew up in Amarillo, Texas. So that was home of, you know, that was a big territory back in the 70s, was was home of the Funks and Dick Murdoch and all those people. Yep. And, you know, I got to be friends with Dory and Terry Funk because I went to school with all Dory's kids. Oh, cool. So I got to be friends with them, and Dory would leave me tickets for the wrestling matches every week. And, you know, I talked to them my senior year in high school about being a wrestler. And uh, they told me if I got a college degree, then they would train. (laughs) (laughs) So you would have that backup plan? Yeah. That's exactly why. Yeah. He he wanted to make sure if it didn't work out, I had something to fall back on. It's good advice. It's it's the same thing my dad always told me about becoming a writer. Make sure you have a degree that you can use before (laughs) you try anything else. And I'm just the uneducated masses. (laughs) No, but that's... (laughs) that's, No, that's that's actually really... I I never knew that about Dory. It makes a lot of sense. It's it's really a good insight. What was it like uh, being trained by Dory and uh, Dick? Oh, amazing. You know, it was... But we got into really working on the business of professional wrestling. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you hear all these stories and stuff about guys having to do 500 setups and 500 squats and all this kind of stuff. You know, Dory got me in the ring, um, had me get on my hands and knees and locked me in like in a collegiate lock <laughs> and, and told me to get away, but I couldn't. That's a very much like the Stu Hart approach of uh, teaching someone to wrestle. <laughs> right. But after that and stuff, Dory said, okay, this is what's called a shoot. He said, now I'm going to teach you to work. <laughs> and then that was the only time I really had to worry about it. That's, that's really cool. I, like, I think that's um, something definitely that's it, – it, it's the true art form of working versus shooting. I think it's one of those things that you see a lot today, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more later, where people just go hell for leather. And it's like, where do you stop working and you are actually just – beating the crap out of each other right well and also right i always wonder if it's useful to know one to learn how to do the other like does knowing how to shoot give you an advantage in knowing how to work or does it make it harder to learn to kind of pull your punches and and that kind of thing uh you know with some people it's they have a hard time you know wrestlers collegiate amateur wrestlers Mm -hmm. you know always stay in a hunched over position yeah and I've had guys and stuff come in that I've been involved with helping train or something like that that were big amateur wrestlers. But it was hard to get them to stand up straight so people can see your face and your body motion. They're always hunched over and you can't see their face. Well, that kills you on a TV. Mm. Completely. Um, it was Actually, it, it, that's a really interesting point because I've been listening. I listen to uh, Wrestling Observer quite a lot. Um, okay. And, uh, recently Lance Storm um, uh, he's he's offering like an online review service for wrestling and he reviewed one of uh, um, Brian Alvarez and uh, Vinny Verhey uh, two of the guys from F4W one of their matches and one of the things that he talked about a lot there was um, keeping making sure that the crowd can see your face at all time because you need to pull them in and get them invested in the emotion 
And if you've got your head down, it looks like you're defeated and you're not trying. And it's re just really analyzing uh, Vinny as a baby face and saying, you know, v Vinny was massively gassed. And so he's just head down in the corner. And it's like, it just looked like there was no fight left in him. And it's, it's really interesting you say that. It's, you really need to register those facial expressions. Well, you know, I used to tell, you know, guys and stuff when I was working, you know, even just... I would watch matches and things like that. And younger guys would ask me questions. And one thing I used to always tell them and stuff is you got to think of yourself in a 10,000 seat arena yeah. and you're trying to get the person in that top balcony and stuff to buy it. Mm. Yep. Definitely. Because the people on the front row, they're already sold <laughs> while they paid for the expensive yeah. tickets. <laughs> but the ones that step up in the balconies and stuff, you've got to do things so they can feel it and see it. Yeah, I completely, I, yeah, completely get that. There's, it's it's that element of, I guess, almost like stage performance where you're always right. projecting to the back of the 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 theater, the theater. Exactly. Except you're doing it with your body rather than your voice. Right. So, coming on to you saying like, uh, what uh, your first match? ever in the ring like your first proper full-on match what are your memories of that um you know i went to north carolina where dory was living at the time and you know it was winter so we were going to uh, a ring and stuff that was owned by nelson royal so we were going to his ring and stuff, but it was cold so we i was always working out in t-shirts and sweatpants and everything else so then we got time to our first match and I got up in the ring and was like, I'm up here in my underwear. <laughs> <laughs> that was the hardest thing for me in the beginning. It's like, I'm mostly naked up here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, can, I can imagine definitely. I know I wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, God, I, I, I'd be one of those guys that they were chanting, shave your back, shave your back out. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it took me a couple of mad two, three matches to get used to that. Yeah, I can and then after that wasn't a problem, but <laughs> <laughs> um so coming on to um from your first match into going on to um working because I know you worked you've worked for obviously a, a number of promotions. Um but I know you, you did work for Jim Crockett's Mid Atlantic R.I.P. That was who I started yeah, my first that's why. Right. So, what was it like working uh, in Mid Atlantic? One of the good things is stuff when they would have the days of doing interview. It was I was always up there because I went with Murdoch. Yeah, and it was always great because you could listen to these guys talk and you could just learn from being around. You know, you kind of learn by osmosis sometimes. Mm. You know, so that was always very enlightening because I mean I was there with. You know, Flair, the Four Horsemen, the Road Warriors, yes. Murdoch and Koloff. I mean, I was with Rock and Roll Express. I was with all of those oh, guys. Some real all-time greats. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. Flair. So it was so great to just be around that environment. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah, completely. I mean, Flair is the GOAT. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah. And then I used to ride to shows and stuff, even when I wasn't wrestling and stuff. I would ride to a lot of shows with Dick Murdoch and Ivan Koloff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So just being in that car, you <laughs> know, God, like God. a small wrestling university. Yeah, I bet. So what, what was it like riding along with Ivan Kolov? Oh, great. Mm -hmm. You know, Ivan was a super nice guy. One of the gentlest guys I've ever met. <laughs> for somebody that has such a violent gimmick. Yeah, he's, <laughs> a, he's a complete juxtaposition. Oh, yeah. One of the nicest guys that you could ever ask. The first time I went to a show with him and Murdoch, when, we were, when they were dropping me back off at my apartment, uh, Ivan and stuff told me, he said, here's my number. He said, watch the shows on TV. And he said, if you've got any questions about how something was done or why something was done, call me. Cool. That's, <laughs> oh, that's really nice. It, I, I think, I think that's something, you know, people, you don't hear, you, you always, everyone always focuses on the, the stories and wrestling. You don't want to really, the camaraderie in the business is oh, really, yeah. really strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I just had a uh, guy that's the booker for a little small promotion in Texas. And to me now, there will be people disagree with what I'm fixing to say and stuff, but there's guys that are coming now that what we used to call backyard wrestlers. Mm 
that consider themselves taught by televisions or they bought some kind of a program from high spots and they think they know the business now. Yeah. And to me, those are the type of people and stuff that are hurting the business now. I, I can. So, I, I mean, it was a lot different. So when I came in, it's if you had to basically be invited. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, now and stuff, every Tom, Dick and Harry can I guess, train. I guess it's. I guess it's. Um, it's. It, it's. It's a bit. It's a bit of one and half a dozen of the other. Because I mean, you have that that advantage of more people are coming in, so you've got the potential for more stars there. But it yeah. does mean that you also have to kind of sift through the 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 trough to find. Them. Yeah, there, there's a lot more to sift through these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a good example of the of the whole personal like from a personal perspective of the you know the home tour wrestler that i think genuinely has gone on to do great things of the young bucks um you know uh, i i know they're a controversial figure uh or controversial figures uh for some um but there's no denying that they made a success out of the bit they've made us they've carved out their success in the business right you know, they found their little niche and stuff. And I mean, I've watched a couple of their matches and they're good at what they do. Mm, definitely. But now think about putting them in the ring with the Road Warriors. <laughs> it would um, that be, would be a, a squash styles. <laughs> that would be a squash match. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, exactly and stuff. I mean, they do great stuff, and stuff mm-hmm. but they're small. Yeah. And I think I think that's one thing that's happened with the business overall all re- over time is it has got smaller. Like, yes. you know, the average size of your wrestler these days is definitely a lot smaller than, you know, the the heyday of Vince's House of Giants. Mm. Yeah. And it seems to be something that still really splits fans. Like, some fans will look at a modern-day wrestler and say, he doesn't look believable, his physique isn't, you know, he's not big enough to be a believable wrestler to me. Whereas some people think it shouldn't be about size. Well, I, my argument on that front, I don't, I'd love to hear your opinion on that as well, Jeff, is that look at someone like Conor McGregor. He doesn't look, he's not huge, but you wouldn't fuck with Conor McGregor. <laughs> no. You know, and it's one thing about professional wrestling and stuff is there's really no weight limits. Mm. No. You I, know, so I mean, that, that makes a big difference. You know, if you look at things now, so right now, I think it's because they've made it so available for basically anybody to become a professional wrestler. You know, your average person's not that big. Mm. No. You know, so, I mean, when you're bringing them, you're bringing in just a lot of smaller people. So, I mean, some of them are great talents, you know, but at the same time, as if there's a lot of them that aren't. Oh, yeah. I mean, completely, like, you know, I I think it's, with any industry, there's always, a, there's always an element of a bit of a mixed bag. I think one of the problems that we have today is some promotions that shall remain nameless WWE um, have a tendency to look at a, a wrestler, look at a wrestler and they focus on their look and they're like, are they marketable? They don't look at, right. can they work? It's right. just, you know, you, there are a number of stars in WWE, I say stars and quote, air quotes, in WWE today that have been pushed to levels way above where they're, actual ring acumen ring acumen is and that i think is personally i think is detrimental to the business because you're putting someone out there like who can't work safely who can't and they're they're not putting on good matches and it's not entertaining you're not pulling people in right and i I think that's one thing and stuff that you know has hurt the business a lot is because that you know i've watched yeah, I watch a little bit, kind of like we were talking earlier and stuff. Is I'll, I kind of watch the the big shows, the mm-hmm. big pay per views. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there are guys and stuff that they're sticking into positions that have got no business being there. Completely agree. And I feel like they've, especially their women's division. I think they've tried to really push a lot of these girls and stuff mm-hmm. off that are not yeah great talents. Yeah, like a really good example for that for me is Nia Jax. Like she's injured how many people now, and yeah. she's not entertaining in the ring. Uh, like the like you know talking about working as a big a big person. Like she doesn't have that big person style down. No, she really doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, 
and an example and stuff on that one was um, Awesome Con- uh, Kong. Yeah. yeah, she's great. Yeah. I mean, she could work. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, yeah. she was big and impressive looking, and a lot of times, instead of Nia Jack, it's lost in her. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, an, uh, another good example, Azure Kong. In her heyday, she yeah. was amazing. Mm. Oh um, yeah, I she mean, was something else. Yeah, I mean, it's always. I think it's it, it's something that remains true to this day. The best women's wrestling comes out of Japan, <laughs> <laughs> right? They you just. See, I was really good friends with Monster Ripper. Oh, oh wow! Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how many of her matches you've seen and stuff, but Ronda could move, mm. and she was good in the ring. Yeah, she yeah. had great psychology. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't see that in some of these these no. girls today. No, I can. I do completely agree. I think there's a there's definitely a there's definitely a mixed bag in terms of women's wrestling. I think one thing that I do think AEW are doing really well is they are they seem to be really like bringing up their female talent. I mean, the roster is still a little bit thin on the ground in points, but if you take yeah. someone like uh, Ty Conti, um, who it's still green and still got work to do. But if you look at where she was when she was wrestling in NXT versus where she is now in AEW, the difference is night and day. Mm. She can actually start, she can actually work now and put together a match. Whereas in um, WWE, because they have that very set style. It, well, it's um, a script. Yeah. It, and and that's one of the things that I, I that I personally dislike about the current WWE products is every match is a copy paste of the last match. Right. And I mean, I think places like AEW and stuff is giving the people coming in a little more freedom. Yes. To to work. I mean, granted, they're still following, you know, a lot more of a format than it was when I started. Yeah. But I mean, when I started, I mean, you would be given, you know, try to open up like this. If you want to open up hot or you want to open up, you know, normal stuff. And it's like, okay, get this high spot and this high spot in the match. And here's the finish. Yeah. And did you find, yeah, I mean, um, the, like, the different countries you wrestled in, did they have different approaches to that kind of thing? Or was it really dependent on the wrestlers you were working with? Like, is the style in Mexico um, drastically different to uh, South Africa or Puerto Rico? Yeah, I mean, we would look at, you know, we were we knew we were building up to angles and stuff. You know, when I was coming on our tours to Mexico, we mm-hmm. knew that, you know, eventually there's going to be a world title match with Kinect and, you know, different things like that. So, but other than that, as far as what we did in the ring, we were just told, you know, especially in Mexico, okay, you're going to win the first fall, you're going to win the second fall, and the third fall, we'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that obviously allows for so much more creativity and freedom and, and right. more ownership of what you're doing, which must be really key. Well, like to I said, we developing. had those basic four or five things we we're told to do in a match back, um, you know, back when I started in the late 80s. Hmm. And, you got up in the ring and said, you, you fed off of the people. Yeah. You know, some nights you go in with this idea, we're going to have a wrestling match and they want to watch you punch and kick each other to death. But you can go in thinking that's the kind of match you want and stuff and the people just don't react to it. And you start <laughs> doing holes and stuff and they start getting back into the match. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, yeah. you had to be able to read the people and stuff and check the temperature of where they were at. That's what I was about to say. You have to really know how to read the crowd and, and figure out what right. direction to go in. Yeah. yeah. And I guess that's, some of that must be instinct, but I guess some of it is also experience. Both. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the great um, examples of that modern day is for, for storytelling in a match, um, just got like, just going off uh, his Wrestle Kingdom main event recently, Jay White uh, in New Japan. My God, can that guy tell a story in the ring? <laughs> can he? I've never seen him. I don't know. Uh, if is. you get, if you ha- if you're able to and get a chance, just check out the main event from uh, night two of Wrestle Kingdom this year. My God, it's a storytelling masterclass. It, it's a, it's the longest main event in Tokyo Dome history for New Japan. It's like 48 minute match, but Ooh. the psychology <laughs> in it and the build throughout. You start off going, yeah, this is a good match. This is a good match. And by the end, I was like nail biting <laughs> on the edge of my seat. Just, holy shit, this is an all-time classic. You know, and that's hard. You know, it's hard to go that long and keep people for that long period of time. Yeah, and I think it was because they took that gradual, ele- like gradual 
uh, build approach. So they started off kind of slow and, and grew and grew and grew. And by the end, you were just like, <sighs> mind oh, blowing. You get a chance, you know, if you get a chance, send me a link to that. Yeah, I will do. Because, I, I mean, I'd like to see it. Because, I mean, that's something I think that the business today lacks a lot of is storytelling. Mm. Well, I mean, Dave Meltzer said that it was possibly the best uh, – you know, put as much stock in Dave Meltzer's words as, as you like. He's yeah. not, it's one man's opinion. Um, but he, he said it was one of the best uh, main events of the Tokyo Dome of all time. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if I go with, I mean, I haven't seen it and stuff, but I mean, they've had some big matches with some great workers. And oh, stuff definitely. That. Well, that's a good segue to the <laughs> next question. Yeah, speaking of, uh, of big names and things, um, obviously you worked in Japan for quite a while and uh out there you you worked with some really big stars like giant barber and andre the giant andre. Um, yeah what can you what can you tell me about what can you tell us about working with those guys um i've always said that i wished i was probably five years more experienced than when i started going to japan mm-hmm. yeah and i would have loved to wrestled andre when he was 20 years younger. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. You know, because by the time I got to wrestle with him, he was so crippled up, he could hardly move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Baba was kind of in the same <laughs> sense. So, I mean, those are guys and stuff that I wish I had more experience and they were younger. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, um, I would have loved that. What about um, your feud with uh, uh, Abdullah the Butcher? <laughs> is is he is he is he as violent as, uh, as he makes out? <laughs> He is in the ring, outside of the <laughs> ring and stuff. He's another one, kind of like Koloff and stuff. He's one of the nicest, <laughs> gentlest kind of guys and stuff. He's not loud or, or anything. He's very polite about things. You know, I heard, I remember a story and stuff about um, Cactus Jack with Mick Foley. Mm-hmm. You know, was talking about being with his wife and stuff, traveling with Abdullah in the car and stuff, and he suppressed the part for the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Things everyone do, everyone goes to the nth level for Mick. Mick's <laughs> Mick's like the saint of wrestling. <laughs> but he's another one who's capable of putting on these, or was capable of putting on these extremely violent matches. And I'm wondering oh, if yeah. you have to be a basically brilliant, nice guy to get away with that behavior. <laughs> <in the ring. laughs> I mean, I was kind of that way through, through different parts of my career too. Mm-hmm. You know, where I had a lot of these crazy matches, and you know. All these long, bloody things. What would you say is your craziest match? Like the 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 most OTT violent match that you had? Um, some of the stuff I did with Abdullah and stuff was really pretty good. And I mean, the thing with with Abby and stuff is that he had such vision. I can remember working with him in a baseball stadium in Puerto Rico. Yep, and. We're outside fighting and stuff all over the the field. And he would be like, grab that stick and stab me in the head with it. <laughs> what stick? <laughs> and, you know, he grabbed me and lead me over that direction. He said, that one right there. <laughs> and I'm just like, how did you see that? Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, he, had, he was able to, he had such vision and stuff, and he knew how to turn matches. Mm. You know, of course, everything and stuff was, you know, we're going to bleed all night. <laughs> but Abby made me in Puerto Rico and stuff because the first time I wrestled Abby, um, I was probably one of the few, if not first, that wrestled in a big match and never bled with him. Oh, wow. Abby didn't let me bleed. You know, I've, I'm ready to go. He pulled his fork out and I said, okay. And he said, no. He said, put it away. <laughs> he said, "He said, block this, take it away from me, and stab me with it." And mm-hmm. I did. So, but I didn't bleed that night. Oh wow! And I think for the Puerto Rican people and stuff, it really kind of, you know, it kind of it built me up a mm-hmm. lot. And stuff. The fact that I was able to get in the ring with Abby and stuff and do that. Yeah. Was and it, that was all his doing. Was it Puerto Rico where you wrestled Dino Bravo as well? Yeah. Yeah. What was what was Dino like? Uh, nice guy. Mm. Very easy to work with in the ring and stuff. Had great psychology, and mm-hmm. you know. So I mean, I, I enjoyed when I was in the ring with him. 
Yeah, I, I, I'd, ne- I'd never seen um, too many of his matches uh, before. It was actually um, the Dark Side of the Ring uh, episode. Oh yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was like I'd never really known much because obviously. Mm-hmm. Kind of, he never really broke through in the in the WWF kind of side, no, which is I guess where I mid part or yeah, yeah. So and like they made him bleach his hair, yeah, which was you horrific. know the name, but you don't necessarily know the body of work. Yes, That's completely. What it was me anyway. right. Yeah, and he was strong. Mm. Yeah, yeah. one thing I gotta say about Dino and stuff, he was a strong guy to work with. <laughs> uh, speaking of blood, so <laughs> you've been stabbed five times. <laughs> yeah. How did how did those yeah, how, what, how what goes what what yeah <laughs> yeah what did, does it ever did it ever put you off? Oh, I mean the the first time was in Mexico City, and uh, it was a world title match with Kanek. And you know in Mexico that you bring out seconds. Yeah, you know so uh, Owen Hart was my second. Oh wow! Oh, wow. Awesome. <laughs> Because uh, they were getting ready to do something with Owen and one of the other wrestlers. So we did a really hot finish uh, where the referee actually counted for me beating Kinect. And the people just went ballistic and started throwing things. And it scared the referee to the point that he reversed the decision. <laughs> That's that's a good angry crowd. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it you know we're twenty six thousand people. Yeah. And um, so Owen and I had grabbed chairs. Now I had worked in Mexico before. I was doing Giant Warrior. I actually did a cowboy gimmick uh, where I was using Butch Masters when I was working for CMLL, yeah. the mm-hmm. other big Mexican office. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no CMLL. Well. You know, and I was working for UWA for Carlos Minas and stuff, and that was before AAA came on the scene. Mm-hmm. And they, I can remember when I was with CMLL stuff, how fans and stuff would pee in cups and stuff and actually try to throw piss in your oh, face. God. Your eyes. <laughs> oh, no. You know, I, so I, I like, knew that's, that they that's did al- that. That's almost worse than getting stabbed. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've known several guys that got eye infections and everything oh, else yeah. oh, from, from that. So I, you know, Owen and I knew, so we grabbed some chairs and stuff as we were heading up the the stairs. And you got to remember and stuff, there's, you know, things, they'd spill Cokes and beer and it'd get wet. Yep. And we were in a bullfighting ring. So the I'm stands, gone. you know, the steps would get all dusty and sandy and everything else. So you could slip on them real easy. So we had taken the chairs and put them over our faces so they couldn't throw cups of, you know, cups of whatever. <laughs> And they were throwing the big uh, peso coins and stuff, which oh, were God. worth nothing but hurt <laughs> yeah. like hell. And so we were blocking that. And my hands were up, and somebody as we were going through the crowd stuff got me back and forth. You know, they kind of zorroed me, and I ended up with sixty stitches out. Oh, God, you know. And so the other one happened in Dominican Republic. And that was an old white lady taking a swipe at me with a great racer. Man, you, racer, you, oh my God. You, you don't you don't fuck with Hispanic old ladies, man. Right. <laughs> They'll cut a bitch. That would have oh, yeah. been the end of my wrestling career. The first time I got stabbed, I'm like, I'm out. This is not for me. <laughs> so you well, lack you know, dedication. You know, went was touring South Africa all the time before I moved over there. Mm. And was- so I, you know, their big star and stuff was a guy named Donnie Flurkus and, and Donnie, you know, died about six months ago. Yeah. But, you know, we were wrestling against each other in Cape Town and my first night into South Africa, so we caused a huge riot, <laughs> you know, where people were throwing chairs, tables, and everything else and stuff. So it got crazy, but we went back for another one and stuff and somebody stabbed me in the hand. <laughs> um and then we went to Durban. Now, Durban was a crazy city to be in. I wrestled in Durban about 15, 16 times, and I had uh, twelve police, 11 or 12 police escorts out of the building. Oh, <laughs> you know, and I mean, I was stabbed there twice in Durban. Wow. <laughs> I'd be like, what, one, I'm not going back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the first time and stuff, we had... Um, there was a real popular Indian wrestler named Gama Singh mm-hmm. 
Nagama, I think, has been doing stuff with Impact Wrestling recently. Yeah. As a manager. So we we were setting the angles up for me to come back because the, they would bring them in for like four weeks at a time. So we worked four consecutive weekends. And we were setting it up for the last week. Weekend was setting it up for he and I to wrestle each other. And so the thing was, he just got through working his two out of three fall match with the other big star in South Africa, except Donnie Bretz. And after the third match, when Gama had won the, the, the series, I came in the ring to challenge him. You know, and he was like, you're a lot bigger than me. He said, I'm, you know, I'm worn out from this match and everything else. So I'm not going to wrestle you. Well, of course, he turns to go out of the ring and I blasted him with a forearm. And stuff, and I, kicked him. I think I kicked him twice. And here comes the chairs. And there was a tape of it. And within 45 seconds, you could not see me. <laughs> because I finally got a chair and put a chair over my head to protect my head and face as they were throwing chairs up in the ring. And I mean, there was a mountain of chairs higher than the ropes that I was underneath. <laughs> Jesus. And so, you know, it's, it's crazy and I could hear everything going on. And then all of a sudden, I start smelling smoke. Oh, no. <laughs> well, there was somebody tried to set the ring on fire in the corner that I was in. Oh, no. <laughs> and so I'm like, my gosh, I'm smelling smoke. And I mean, I'm pent. I can't go anywhere. <laughs> I mean, if the rain and the fire in the chairs were caught on fire, I would have burned to death in it because there was no Jesus. way to move. I was hemmed in for all the chairs that were in there. And then everything went dark. <laughs> then I can hear the dogs and stuff coming in. Then I hear some gunshots going off. Oh, <laughs> and I'm sitting, you know, all I can think of, I'm covered in plastic and now they're shooting. <laughs> Yeah, okay. And this is like when people say wrestling's fake. No, fuck you. <laughs> uh, you know, so I mean, with that one, so they finally got everybody cleared out, things settled down, and they're pulling chairs and stuff off of me so I can get out of the rain. And there was a guy sitting in the corner pulling the chairs, and I thought he was an attendant. And so he was throwing the chairs off of me, and I turned around to throw one behind me. And I was turned back a guy, the guy stabbed me in the chest. Jesus. Gosh. And I mean, it was right over my heart. And the doctor told me stuff. He said, you got lucky because he said if the blade had been turned sideways. Wow. He said it had gone between your ribs and got your heart. He yeah. said, as it was, the stuff it hit my rib and bounced up and didn't go in. Wow. My God. See? So, I mean, ah, that, just... then Gama and I have a cage match in Durban. And we had one, had a finish where I kicked the door off. And he went over the top and we hit the ground at the same time. We had two referees, so one raised my hand, one raised his hand. And here everything started happening. They're throwing everything they could find and chairs and stuff. So I got back in the ring <laughs> because <laughs> it was inside a cage. Yeah. You know, so anybody stick their head through that cage, I kick. <laughs> you know, so you couldn't get into the cage. And things just got so crazy, and they finally, you know, I got out of the cage, and we were running to the back. And as I was, somebody cut me in the arm and stuff as I was going through the crowd. Well, well, at least I mean, that seems a little, little bit less of it than, than being stabbed right near the heart. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that obviously shows you've got a real love for the business because you kept going back. Oh. <laughs> the funny thing about it and stuff is when, for me, when something like that happened, I got to the back and stuff, and all I could think of is, is I did my job right. <laughs> yeah. Because if I can get them that wound up, I did something right. Definitely. I, I would agree. That is that that is the sign of you you got that crowd really fucking yeah. invested, right? <laughs> well, uh, Warlord, you know, they used to tag with Bar Barbarian Warlord. Oh, yeah. Powers. They had brought uh, him into South Africa, and he and I had a tag match. And... You know, once again, anything involving me is Kerry and Durbin. <laughs> um, so we had had a really hot finish and controversial. Is we and they started throwing stuff and it got crazy again. And Durbin was uh, inside of a big tennis stadium, so you had a brick wall and stuff behind what the tennis court was. But then you had a 
alleyway and stuff below the uh, stands. And as we were going through, they used to use the rim of a tire with a metal rod welded into it and stuff to use that as a stanchion and stuff up in the stand. <laughs> well, somebody and stuff had taken that, one of those stanchions and stuff, and dropped it off on my head. Oh! <laughs> and thankfully, and stuff, Mexico and stuff really came into play. I knew to keep my head ducked as I was going under <laughs> balconies and stuff. And it hit me on the top of, around the front of the top of my head and stuff and just peeled the skin down. Oh. And the doc, once again, the doctor said stuff, had I been standing up straight, that it probably would have been a lot worse. Yeah, I can imagine. Jesus. So, yeah. That sounds like a world of fun. Yeah, these are the, the oh, risks yeah, that you don't hear about. <laughs> <laughs> so, off the back, like obviously, you've had some some pretty bad out of ring injuries. What um, right. what was uh, was probably the worst in ring injury that you ever got? Um, probably when I fractured my forearm about two years into my career in Mexico City. How did that go? One year. How did that was my first year. Was that just a stiff clothesline? <laughs> no, uh, a guy was coming off the top rope to give me a drop kick as I was turning around. And he came in too low and caught me. You know, I had my arms in yep. so he hit my chest. He hit my forearm and just snapped it. <sighs> the The bone popped up through the skin. Ooh. Did you finish the match? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn I actually right. did. Damn right. awesome. to get the finish in. Mm-hmm. Because oh. my match and stuff was setting up something for the next week. So I had to, you know, I had to get through it. Mm. You I know, see. for the guy that was, that drop kicked me was doing something big the next week. Right. See, this is, this is all, like, just my unending admiration for, for, for pro wrestlers, that, that commitment to finishing the match. It's, it's it's the thing I always like to joke about. It's like UFC, someone gets hurt, that's the end of the match. Right. Res- wrestling, someone gets hurt, no, you finish the fucking match. <laughs> oh. I mean, look at the crazy cage matches up between Foley and Undertaker. Mm. Oh yeah, I mean God, that My that gosh. Yeah. That match should have been over oh several times. Long before <laughs> long before it got to the end. I mean that's what I think that in, in some ways that's one of the improvements that that has come in the business now. Like, you know, there's a lot more care in con- uh, around things like concussions, especially. Which right. I de- right. like, you know, I think that that that's only a benefit. You know, there are certain oh. times where Sometimes, yeah, you just have to call the match for the safety of the wrestler so you mm-hmm. get more out of the wrestler in the long term. Right. Well, I mean, they, you know, they, they're a lot more now except with physicians and everything yeah. else. I mean, I can remember working like one of the last matches with Abdullah and stuff somewhere in Puerto Rico. I don't remember what city. But, you know, we had another one of our bloody matches. And by the time I got to the dressing room, most of the guys had left. <laughs> to go home because it was on the other side of the island from where everybody lived. And we were in there and said, I mean, I'm bleeding. I couldn't get it to stop. Uh, there was no doctors. There were no nurses. There was nothing there and stuff to help you and stuff. And I ended up having to get the needle and thread out of my wrestling bag <laughs> and had to put my own stitches in to get on the Jesus. Stop. <laughs> oh, man, that's brutal. <laughs> You know, but I mean, that wouldn't happen today. No. And talking about those differences, like, so obviously I know you've you've worked a lot in the indie scene and you've wrestled uh, quite a few of the, like, you know, current uh, WWE alumni, people like uh, Brian Kendrick or Spanky, as he was known back then. In fact, I believe you you wrestled his last match before he went over to WWE the first time. What's it like uh, seeing the changes in the locker room uh, over the years? Yeah, it is different because, you know, there's a lot more, there's a lot tighter knit group, mm. you know, in the 80s and 90s. You know, now it's if you go into dressing rooms and there's, you know, the guys were talking and stuff when I was, you know, when I first started. So, I mean, you, you're, it's another learning experience for the new guys. Yeah. But now it's if you go into dressing rooms and everybody's playing video games. <laughs> Games on their texting on their phones, and 
everything else. So you don't really have that interact. It does. I've never had that interaction and stuff with the guys as much as what it was when I was my first 10, 15 years in the business. I guess that's, 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 that's maybe not just true for the locker room, but for society in general, oh, we've sure. all, we've all become so glued to these devices in our hands. Right. Now that, that art of discourse is lost. I, I often, I often wonder if that's why podcasts are so popular. People yearn for that discourse that they don't actually get in yeah, the day to day life. The talking and the genuine talking and listening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, during your career, you've held five different heavyweight championships across your career, if I'm correct? Right. Uh, any of those, which of those were more special, or did any of those stand out as being more important than any of the others? And The why? one I had through South Africa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had two different title runs in South Africa. My first one was about two years, and the next one was a little over a year. Wow. So, and, I mean, that one was more special because... You know, I would still go and do shows in other places or in Indies and stuff, and I would use my belt, you know, when when I would go places. Awesome. Um, what were, um, so, like, when you say you'd use your belt, like, do you mean you'd just you'd take it with you as a prop or you'd actually use it in ring, kind of like heel tactics? Oh, well, I did that too. <laughs> I don't think there's a heel tactic I haven't used. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean South know. Africa and stuff, I was known for carrying a spike. And I mean, that was something I picked up from working with Abdullah. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, you that know, sounds so, like a, a butcher type thing. Yeah. You know, I think I had, thrown, I had thrown fire at one point in South Africa because they'd never seen anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I even did the green mist oh, really? <laughs> the, at uh, some point while I was there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was all stuff they had never seen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it was brand new. And, I mean, the people just went, you know, were just in complete awe mm. when it happened. like, holy crap, we haven't <laughs> seen this before. <laughs> yeah, I, like the South African wrestling scene, it's not something that, uh, it, that I really know. You don't, of. Yeah, you don't, you don't hear, hear much about it, about it anymore. Yeah. Like, I know you, it's you, you see. not the, what I had. No, it's I can imagine. not what it was when I was there. I imagine it's largely just when WWE tours, right? Uh, no, now they've got three or four promotions and stuff that are over there. But I mean, it's um, when I was there the last time in 2010, I actually got brought over to do bodyguarding work. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, for for World Cup soccer because I used to bodyguard when I was living in South Africa before. Oh, cool. And. Um, they wanted somebody that had some knowledge of Spanish. Didn't have to be perfect or great, but as long as you could understand and speak a little bit. Cool. And there was nobody in South Africa that learned Spanish. <laughs> so they brought me back over, so I started wrestling again there. And, you know, it was just, um, I tried to get, I had things basically set up for them to become part of the NWA. Oh, cool. Um, and I think, Rob Trobich was the president at that time before uh, before Bruce Stark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I had it basically there, but, you know, there were so many egos going on in South Africa with their own promotions. Nobody could work together. And, I mean, they could have had one great promotion and run it like an old American territory back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, I mean, that's so, nobody could get along well enough and agree to things and stuff. They all want to be the predominant promoter. That's and one. Sorry. They hurt. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's one thing that has probably been a detriment to the business over the last few years, Be uh, like, you know, WWE being the main player in town and they don't work with anybody. Um, no. It's one thing that's, that's really interesting in the development recently with AEW. Obviously, they're working with Impact. Um, and New Japan. Um, the right. ex- the extent of the partnership with New Japan is still yet to be seen because obviously pandemic's playing a lot into that. But uh, they've had Kenta on there and some of the guys from the New Japan Strong, like the US arm of New Japan as it is. Um, so I think there's definitely a benefit I, 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 for wrestling companies to work alongside each other because you're pulling more people into the into the into the business like as fans and that's something that the whole business needs right now because if you look at the wrestling boom of the 90s and where the fan base is right now it's 
it's night and day. There needs to be that spark, that something that gets people buzzing about pro wrestling again. Because right. I will forever die on this hill that pro wrestling is the greatest form of entertainment known to man. <laughs> and when it's great. When it's shit, it's the worst. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true, but too. That, that, uh, because wrestling has that predetermination element to it, it opens you up to craft really fantastic stories. And it's that element that makes pro wrestling head and tails above everything else. You can tell real in-depth stories, whereas right. real sports are just, this guy wants to fight this guy, this guy knocked out this guy, and... <laughs> it's over yeah you know um, you're, you're absolutely right you know as far as it's changed the whole the whole business up now and so if you just don't see it's, it's just a different creature so and because of the smaller guys in it, they're a lot more acrobatic and athletic mm -hmm. yeah you so um, you were going to see me doing a moonsault. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I would pay for that, though. <laughs> but, um, I mean, uh, like uh, we were talking before the, sh uh, uh, before the show, like Lance um, Archer, great, great big man. That, right. mo that moonsault that he does after walking the ropes is uh, impressive it's as all amazing. hell. amazing. I don't know how yeah, he does the stuff he does. Yeah. I, he, I, I think Lance is, is really good, though, because he doesn't, he doesn't do high fly stuff all the time uh, so when he does it it's fucking special it means something yeah, yeah. completely yeah. um whereas you know i know like i i do love the young books but a million high spots in a match sometimes it loses a little bit of that meaning um it, it, it becomes the norm for the match rather than a high spot it's no if you're doing nothing but high spots, they're not high spots anymore. Well, and it also takes it from being a story to being a performance yeah you know that if you've just got the kind of the constant acrobatic moments rather than yeah, the, it the focus on the storytelling. Yeah. I, I think actually Will Ospreay is a really good um, example of that. And I'm not sure how familiar you are with his body of work, but when he first started... Not at all. Okay, so when he first started out, he was very much a Lucha Libre inspired. He, he, he was trained okay. by uh, Lucha Britannia, which is like a British Lucha Libre. Um, that, and he had one of the most controversial matches in New Japan history during... Uh, I believe best of the super juniors against Ricochet, and it, it was all aerial acrobatics. It, it was almost like a ballet in some respects. But he's now the current IWGP uh, heavyweight champion, and across the course of his career, you've seen him. He still does these high flying aerial acrobatic stuff, but as he transitioned from the junior heavyweight to heavyweight, he did them less, and now he does them less. They mean more when he does. Right. Right, and uh, he's he's managed to straddle that line perfectly between, like I mean, his his work is just he is a fantastic worker. Um, he recently had the the match where he won the IWGP Championship from uh, Kota Ibushi, um, at um, was it Sakura, Sakura Genesis? Genesis yeah. yeah, that was that that just happened a, a couple of weeks ago, and he's now the first British-born IWGP Heavyweight Champion. Um, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, which. I say Brit boy done good. Mm -hmm. It's just a shame that they... Have you seen the new Bell? No. Oh, fuck. It's very different. Have You, you remember the Divas Butterfly Bell? Yes. Think that. <laughs> it, that's what, yeah, if you Google the new IWGP, IWGP Bell, it's fucking hideous. They've taken one of the most beautiful belts in all of wrestling and... Oh, car crashed it. Yeah, they, had a, they had a nice belt. Like, they, so yeah, they, I've got a rep, I've got a one-to-one -one replica of it upstairs. Uh, I think it's one of the best belts in the history of wrestling. Um, but they took, they basically took their their main title and their intercontinental title and unified them under this fucking monstrosity. <laughs> that is hideous. I just pulled it up. <laughs> Well, I maintain that's why they've put it on a heel because yeah. now everyone's going to be like, we help, hate the belt, we hate the wrestler. It's fine. <laughs> well, you've explained it just right because it looks like the Diva belt. It really does. It's it's kind of a mashup of the Diva belt and one of the earlier IWGP belts, the one that the the one that they had uh, just before Brock fucked off with the belt, which was the uh, the one that looked like a crown that just looked like it'd stab you in the stomach. 
Yeah, I remember seeing that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like they've taken some inspiration from that, and for some reason, the fucking diva spell. <laughs> it's choice. <laughs> so, um, you la- wrestled, uh, I believe it was your, your last match in 2017? Right, in uh, Bremen, Germany. So what are your memories of your uh, of your last match? Uh, the, the the kind of emotions uh, that what is that is was that your final final match? You never getting back in the ring again? Yeah, I never got back in the ring after that match. Yeah, uh, you know, and it was funny because they brought me in to Germany stuff to do a legends match, mm-hmm. and I was the youngest guy in the ring. <laughs> And between the four, it was a tag match. Between the four of us, we had over 150 years of experience. Wow. Jesus. So who else, uh, just remind us, who else was it? Who else was in the match? Um, Bron Schumann and Dave Taylor was against me and Salvatore Belomo. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that, that is a wealth of experience. <laughs> yeah, and it was... Uh, you know, it, it was a lot of fun doing that. I didn't really know at that time that I was completely finished. Mm. You know, I thought about doing some other stuff, and then uh, I got diagnosed with Parkinson's disease oh, sorry in uh, 2018. Mm. So it just made it very difficult for me to yeah, of yeah, course. Course. yeah, to, yeah. to be, be able to get back in the ring mm. again. So the will's how- there, but the body's not. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, how has life after wrestling been? Because you're a life coach now, aren't you, I think? I'm a, I'm a certified happiness coach. Happiness coach. Okay, cool. And, uh, I like that. You know, which is basically the same thing as a life coach. <laughs> yeah, it sounds better, though. But, I'd rather have a happiness coach. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit of study, and so it took me about six months to get through my course for that. So, mm-hmm. I've but, Sorry, carry on. No, I mean, it, it's... You know, I enjoy working with people. I haven't been able to do it as much, you know, since I got Parkinson's because when I first got it, stuff I was, I was really bad as far as my speech and, you know, it's very staccato and Mm -hmm. everything else. But once they finally got me on medicine and I finally uh, got a really good doctor and stuff here in Florida, that's good. She changed. She changed a bunch of medications and everything else and. You know, because last last spring during all the COVID stuff when it started, I, I got really bad stuff to where we didn't know if I was going to make it to summer. Wow. Oh, wow. And I got a new doctor and she changed up everything. And, you know, once she did that stuff, I'm doing good. So most people don't even recognize I have Parkinson's. <laughs> that's, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's great to hear. Really good. Yeah, it's a daily <laughs> thing. I mean, mm. I can be great today and tomorrow and stuff that, you know, flares up and mm-hmm. I'm you know, in a bad state. Well, I, I'm I'm glad things things are are looking like you know much better for you at least now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about let's talk about. Have, have you been following any of the builds for WrestleMania this year? What are your thoughts on WrestleMania? Yeah, I haven't really followed it enough to really I don't, I don't even know who the matches are I don't think it, we have this year to be honest no I mean it, it, generally speaking my following of Wrestlemania for this year has been vicariously through wrestling media rather than following the product itself and the general consensus is oh god it's Wrestlemania <sighs> <laughs> Which is a shame because when I was a kid, Wrestlemania was such a big deal and getting to see one like even if it was just on an old VHS was really huge. You know, it was yeah. like something I looked forward to every single year was the idea of WrestleMania. So for us to be now like, oh, it's WrestleMania. Oh, yeah. It's so kind I, of sad. I've got, I've got tomorrow booked off work so we can watch it watch it all. And it's just like, it, it, I, I'm like, I should be excited. I'm going to get to sit down and watch wrestling for like two days solidly. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh God, I've got to watch WWE for two days. <laughs> <laughs> It's, yeah, I, I understand. Like I said, from what little I've, I've watched of it in the last couple of years, it seems like it's the same drawn out yeah. stuff that does. You know, it wasn't like when we did it in the 80s and 90s and stuff where you built up for the big blow off match. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, the, the builds are like a week or two. Well, it seems now it's more like 
the pay-per-views are to entice you to watch the TV product rather than you watch the TV product so you get the payoff of the pay-per-view. Definitely. I can see that. I think I think that's a symptom of the way revenue is now earned in the business. Most of the money is coming from television rights. So as long yeah. as the company's getting TV rights, they don't have the incentive to put on these fantastic matches and keep people entertained because they're getting their TV money regardless. It doesn't matter, right. you know, it doesn't matter how many people show up to the arena or how many people buy merch when you're getting like a million dollars a year through TV alone or even more. I was like, was like Vince is now a, a certified billionaire from mm -hmm. the last deal with uh, Fox and USA. But I mean, is, is that well, why... you got that Saudi Arabian deal. Yeah. Oh God, that, I mean, yeah. and that is just, I, I have some serious moral issues with that deal. <laughs> but I mean, is, is that why the fan base just isn't there the way it used to be? Is because promoters aren't really worried about keeping them because it's not necessarily the fans that are bringing I, in the money anymore. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, Chef, because my thoughts are, it's maybe some of that, but I think it's also the heavily scripted nature of the of the product especially wwe you don't get to see you know what was brilliant about wrestling back when the wrestling boom and we i'm you know i'm talking back from like you know the 70s through to the end of the attitude era effectively what you were seeing were really big characters and un almost you know unscripted like you wouldn't get a wrestler today cutting well not many wrestlers today cutting a flair-like promo anymore. Right. Some exceptions, you know, I mean, MGF is doing really fantastic promo work. Um, God, our favorite guy in AW. Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston's promos are fantastic. Cause, oh, I've heard the name and mm. stuff, but I've never seen any of his stuff. Oh, he, he AW doesn't script their promos. They like, they're like, these are the points you got to hit. Just go out there and talk, right? Whereas right. WWE's here is your script, memorize it. Yeah, I mean, I, I can remember doing all that stuff where it's like, okay, get this city and arena into the, and then it's, you know, just go at it. Hmm. Yeah, completely. Like, how um, how long did it take you to get comfortable with promos? Uh. Couple of years, probably. Mm -hmm. I, I I guess that that's transit that 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 experience has probably come in very handy with the uh, the happiness coaching. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I was doing motivational speaking and stuff for a while. Oh, cool. Um, back 2015, 16. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I really enjoyed that stuff. But yeah, it, it's helped. That's cool. Um, yeah, so. Um, as we're, we're just approaching up on the hour now, we'll start uh, wrapping things up to a close. Um, so, Jeff, any final thoughts on uh, your wrestling career? Any thoughts on the business in general that you'd like to share? Um, you know, it's, it was something that I loved and even as beat up as I've become, um, I'd do it all over again. <laughs> You know, I, I, I loved what I did. And, you know, I, I still have a lot of respect for the business, but mm. it, it's different now. Mm. Yeah. What would you know? It really is. If you were going to impart any advice to someone looking to get into the business now, what would that be? Don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, unless, unless you want to. To go through the injuries and everything else and stuff that comes at the end of your career instead of the beginning, you know, it, it's it's a rough way to make a living. Uh, yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, the travel and stuff involved. And I mean, I did mostly international shows. So yeah. I was flying all over the world all the time. But surely and that was hard. I can imagine, but the jet um, lag alone would make it rough. Uh, but I can imagine as well the, the places that you got to see that you wouldn't have otherwise. It's, oh yeah, I was mm -hmm. in twenty-five different countries. Mm -hmm. You know, and I would have never seen that. And I guess the only international experience I had before wrestling is I played professional basketball in Belgium. So, but other than that, I'd never done an international. Oh yeah, shot. I, I, that was something I did want. I, I did mean to ask. Thank you for reminding me. What What was the the basketball career like? 
Yeah, I had a, I was very successful high school, college. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to Belgium and th- I had a contract issue. They had promised me, you know, a, a bigger contract. And when I got there, it was about half of what they promised me. Oh. And, you know, I had, I just had two kids. My second kid stuff was like three or four days old when I had to go to Belgium. Oh, wow. I think she was three. And, you know, they were supposed to be bringing them over there, getting some big apartment, big cars, and all this stuff. And when I got there, stuff, it was all something completely different. And so I, I called my agent and stuff, had them bring me home. And I called Terry Funk about a month later. <laughs> and that's when I went into wrestling and said, I quit playing basketball, went into wrestling. <laughs> so basketball is not something I usually associate with Belgium. No, I. I- I don't I mean I don't know anything about Belgium. I know beer, beer. That's beer why I should beer, beer is why I should yeah. Belgium. I mean they're they're basically our next door neighbor yeah. here in the Netherlands. So uh, it's beer, right. chocolate, and yeah. bureaucracy. Oh wait, and the illegal fireworks. Yes, there's a thing in the I didn't so, know that. So uh, yeah, in the Netherlands, uh, New Year. So for New Year's Eve alone, the Netherlands blows up more fireworks than the US does all year round, including the Fourth of July. Really? Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's like living oh in a war zone. It's crazy. And people go across the border to Belgium and Germany to bring back more powerful fireworks. Yeah. And if they can't find fireworks, wow. they blow up milk jugs. Yeah, there's one village that, um, the, well, there's these two villages uh, near the coast that every year they have a war to see who can stack pallets the highest and set them on fire. Um, I can't remember if it was this year or the year previous, but the two pallet towers collapsed in on each other and created a fire tornado, which is the Ooh. most metal-sounding thing ever. Right? So that's that's the Netherlands yeah. on New Year's Eve, if yeah, you fancy don't, it. Don't, don't, don't come to... Like, honestly, I would recommend going to a war zone over coming to Netherlands on New Year's Eve. <laughs> It'll be quieter. Yeah, I've been to the Netherlands a couple of times and stuff and, and enjoyed myself It's a over great there, place. Yeah. see that <laughs> yeah no it's it's just literally contained in like a, the week around new year's eve it's a hellscape but the rest of the time it's a great country to live in <laughs> um so as we wrap up uh jeff uh anything any current things that you'd like to promote any uh where can people find you on social media okay um you know my wife Brittany. she and i have a public relations company and a ghostwriting company. Oh, wow. So, you know, that's what our main focus is, is, you know, on doing those. We're doing really well with it. So it's been good. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's really cool. Um, You know, and I'm, I think I'm in a position where I can start doing my, uh, my happiness coaching again. That's good. So, you know, I would tell, you know, I'm on Facebook is, you know, Jeff Bearden. Um, I have a, my website and stuff is www.jeffbearden.com. I'll make sure to include links to all this in the show notes as well. You know, and then I've got, you know, like I said, my personal Facebook, there's a wrestling Facebook, there's a certified happiness coach Facebook. Um, yeah, what am I? Jeff.Bearden on Instagram. Awesome. J Bearden, JW Bearden at large on Twitter. Awesome. And that's really the only ones I worry about. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I try I, unfortunately with the podcast I have to be across all social media, but oh it's 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 a chore. The ghostwriting thing would be interesting. I'll have to talk to you a little bit more about that because uh, Naomi yeah. is um uh she, Naomi's an author herself. Um Ah, we need to talk. Yeah. yeah, she's an award-winning author. In fact, just got another Reader's Choice <laughs> Award uh, through the mail yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, Celebrity writer on with us. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the premier, premier lesbian fiction writer. <laughs> In this house. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, funny enough, I have a ghostwriting company and everybody keeps telling me it's that you need to need to write your book and get it out there. So definitely. Mm, yeah. yeah, I mean, definitely yeah. just from the from from the, the short time that we've spent talking, there, I can tell there's a wealth of stories there that would be fascinating read. Mm. You know, some of the some of the stories and stuff that would make it more fascinating, I can't tell. <laughs> they it's need to stay the in the closet. That's <laughs> always the way. <laughs> 
Uh, I, I quite often have, uh, like will start a, start a story in the middle of a podcast and be like, ah, actually, no. <laughs> I can't tell this one on it. <laughs> well, Jeff- yeah, it's kind of like the story and stuff about the cobbler and stuff that you know doesn't have shoes for his own family. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing with me with the, the book and stuff. I mean, it's you know I've got ghostwriters and stuff in our company and stuff that can write it with no problem. I just don't. I just haven't sat down and done it. Mm. Well, I definitely you've got you've definitely got two two potential purchases yeah. right here. Mm-hmm. It, it would be well, a fact. We do give discounts to wrestlers. Awesome. <laughs> for theirs and stuff. So I'll throw you two in on it as well. Awesome. Brilliant. Amazing. Thank you. Well, Jeff, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for taking the time to join oh, us. Oh, I've today. enjoyed it. Good. I'm glad. Um so as I mentioned, I'll post links to all Jeff's details down in the show notes. Um Hope you guys have enjoyed this uh, wrestling this wrestling special interview for WrestleMania weekend, and uh, we'll be back soon next week with yeah. what are we doing next week? Is we doing we the going to talk about the media that scarred us as children? Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's that's our that's our topic for next week. I, I've got some things to say about the never ending story and what it did to my childhood. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> But yeah, thank you so much, Jeff. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. It's been a real fascinating journey. Uh, oh, I've loved it and stuff. It's it's been really fun talking to y'all. Like, a, you know, if y'all need me any other time, feel free to reach out. I uh, most certainly will. Most yeah. certainly will. All right. Well, to all the listeners out there, uh, stay safe, and we shall be back in touch. And uh, feel free to drop us a line uh, at uh, the team at uh, proteinramblings.com uh, if you want to get in touch with us. Until next week, peace. Bye.